Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nimity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. Last week, we already briefly discussed the new landmark decision of the Court of Justice of the European Union, Meta v. Bundeskartellamt, the German Competition Office, where the court not only decided that competition authorities can use data protection when deciding on the potential abuse of a dominant market position, but also made some important calls on online advertising. Reason enough to dive a little deeper into this case, especially now that the initial dust has settled. And my guests today are Gabriela Zanfer Fortuna, Vice President for Global Privacy at the Future of Privacy Forum, and Romain Robert, Program Director at NOI. This is for me a little bit of getting the old band back together from our discussions in the Working Party 29 days. So I'm looking forward to geek out a little. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So welcome both. Good to see you, to hear you again after such a long time. Good to see you. Hello, hello. Thank you for having us. So for the unexpected question, if you had to open a business other than privacy, what business would you open? Wow. I I actually have an immediate answer to that because I don't remember in what context, but I was thinking about it uh, last year. And the thing I would open would be a library, library bookstore, a bookstore mm-hmm. that also has a wine shop inside. So a wine shop nice. bookstore. Oh, that, that's my, my go-to. Would we then also be able to read a book while having a glass of wine in the store? Exactly. That's the point. You know how you usually have like a tea house in the bookstore or a mm-hmm. coffee shop in the bookstore, a wine shop in the bookstore, you know. Much better idea. <laughs> so, Roman, what about you? I would open a stand-up comedy theater, I think. Nice. Yeah, with wine as well, of course. <laughs> because otherwise it's not that funny. Yeah, something with wine and stand-up comedy, yeah. Also sounds and with like book, a good plan. Maybe, and maybe a John Venture, you know, like... Uh, Stand-up comedy books and theater. <laughs> yes. And wine. <laughs> and wine. <laughs> it would be called a wine nut. Yes, I love it. <laughs> How long do you Sounds call? like a great idea. I think I would... Bookstore was somewhere on my list as well, but probably right now I would say I would open a bakery, although I'm not sure whether I would look forward to the early hours. That's perfect and goes right along with the serious cooking show. We'll we'll bring you into our cooperative, right, Roma? Sounds perfect. Yeah. Well, probably I'll bake the I'll bake the bread for the the snack platters that you can serve in the wine bar, something like the that. Cheese and wine and everything you see. We we get a plan. So we great plans plan. for when we retire from data protection, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it would be one day. Okay, breaking news. This episode is all about the decision of the EU Court of Justice in the case Meta v. Bundeskartellamt. 
We recorded our conversation with Gabriella and Romain on Friday, 14 July. However, on Monday morning, 17 July, the Norwegian DPA suddenly issued a temporary processing ban on Meta for most personalized advertising on Facebook and Instagram. So only personalized ads that are based on valid and granular user consent or those that only use generic data shared by the users, such as their age and gender and location, only those data can still be used for ads. All other data, not so much. And if Meta does not respect the processing ban, they can receive a fine of up to 1 million Norwegian kroner or around 89,000 euros a day until they are indeed compliant. So according to the Norwegian DPA, Meta's commercial interests are not, and I quote, in themselves of a highly compelling nature, and there are a number of alternative advertising models that Meta can rely on in pursuit of its commercial interests. They also explain that the processing of personal data for behavioral advertising is complex and opaque, their words, and that most data subjects may not fully understand those processing operations. We've talked about that before many times because it is so difficult to understand um, also what inferences can be made. So in the view of the DPA, it is Meta's responsibility to design a business model that is both lawful and viable, and it is not for the law to adapt to the business model. Finally, the Norwegian DPA makes very clear that things really need to change, and just updating underlying documentation and, for example, replacing references to a contract to legitimate interest or now to consent is not good enough. In my view, this is a very big decision by the Norwegian DPA and one that seems to preempt the responsibilities of the Irish DPC. However, in the compliance order, the Norwegian DPA also explains that they had already requested that the Irish DPC issue a compliance order and a processing ban in May of this year. That request was denied. So, with the decision of the Court of Justice in hand, the Norwegian DPA considered taking action had become too urgent and that waiting any longer was not in the interest of the Norwegians. So, an urgency decision by the European Data Protection Board will also be requested to validate the Norwegian decision. And if the board indeed agrees, that may have a longer and a broader effect than the Norwegian Norwegian order. It could mean that the processing ban now put in place for both Facebook and Instagram will apply across the whole European economic area and for an indefinite duration of time and not just for the three months that the order is for now. So as we already say in the episode, and you will hear that after, this discussion is far from over. So now, without further ado, on with the conversation with Gabriella and Romain. So, Oman, this this whole idea for the Deep Dive podcast started when you started inviting comments on LinkedIn on this yes. on this case, Meta v. Bundeskartellamt. What was your first response to the case when you read it? The, the answer was, the, the, the reaction I would say was like, what a non-surprise to be honest. Like, okay, that we already knew. And as you said, I was inviting for comments because I was more surprised about the surprise of other people on LinkedIn. I was not really understanding why people were so surprised about something that seemed to be a little bit obvious. I don't know if you agree with that. And I wanted to know why we had all of us different reading of the uh, the court decision. And especially with you, Paul, we also had some, you know, discussion about very specific provisions. And I, and I thought, oh, I really would love to have in that discussion with, you know, my favorite privacy expert. <laughs> and here you are. 
And uh, so ha- I'm so happy that you organized that, you know, because it's, it's so nice to exchange, you know, different readings or same readings of the same decision. Uh, because as you know, and especially for Noib, it's also linked to a lot of cases that we have. And it's really, really important for other aspects as well of enforcement of digital rights. I think it's also important because it's not only competition, but it's also a lot of other aspects. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was my first reaction. I don't understand why people are surprised. So, Gabriela, what about you? I actually read it with a lot of excitement uh, when I opened uh, the document. And I remember reading it very, very soon after it was published on the website. Uh, and this is because I've been following quite closely this interaction at the theoretical level, at least, data protection rules and how they impact collection and sharing of personal data in the data economy and the impact of that on antitrust and competition uh, assessments. And uh, because I was working on following all of this, this particular judgment of the Court of Justice was a landmark that uh, the community was waiting for because we wanted to see uh, clarity from the most authoritative voice in EU law on how these two fields of law are supposed to work together. I think that there was a sense that uh, there is something there. It, it's, it has a logic to it that uh, they should be interacting with each other and maybe put some pressure in, in, in specific points. Uh, but we did not have this clarity from the Court of Justice yet. And this also comes on top of the fact that this is not really the first time ever where such questions that relate to data protection privacy rules are uh, impacting conduct of companies in the data economy. The Court of Justice had the opportunity to look at another couple of cases in the past, but what it usually did, and very famously in a case from early 2000, um, the ASNEF case, is that it usually said, the data protection and privacy considerations are absolutely separate than antitrust and competition assessments. So it always considered them in their own little world in the past. Mm-hmm. But, but this case completely overturns that line of reasoning. And that's why it's absolutely significant. So a little surprising still, given the history of the court. I think I agreed on on first reading with Walmart's position that maybe most of what the court said was not as surprising that they said it, but I was surprised how they said it, that they were so explicit and basically so damning for for meta in in their in their arguments and in also in in how they formulated certain points. And maybe just as a as a quick summary, because maybe not all of our listeners have read the case or reread the case this week. I think there were more or less four main points that that the court makes. First of all, that competition authorities indeed can look at data protection as part of competition cases when they're looking at abuse of dominant market positions, but they need to involve the data protection authorities um, and follow their case law um, when making their decisions. When you look at personalized online advertising, it is not generally seen as essential or objectively indispensable for the delivery of online services. 
valid user consent also comes up where a user should also have a real but also a granular choice and the court reconfirms that. And that is also, for example, the case about combining on-platform and off-platform data. So what you do on a social medium cannot just be combined for advertising purposes for everything else you can do on the internet. And the final point is about sensitive personal data and the fact that if you do something online, that doesn't mean automatically that you have made it manifestly public um, so that it can just be reused for any kind of purposes. And then there are all kinds of smaller tidbits and nuggets in this court case um, that are, at least in my view, equally exciting um, to uh, to take a look at things like paid alternatives and, and using and retaining data um, uh, for law enforcement request purposes. Um, and even uh, in, in paragraphs 91 and 92, um, something about the order in which to use legal basis for data processing, which also surprised me at least a little. So where do you want to start? Uh, l- let me also add that one thing that surprised me is how systematic the analysis of the court was mm. on lawful grounds for processing. I think we have the most comprehensive case judgment of the court interpreting Article 6 of the GDPR, which says something. And uh, as you know, usually the court doesn't like to just make additional findings that are not essential to answer the referring court. But in this case, they really went and analyzed every single letter in in Article 6 and uh, gave an answer to all all issues that have been raised within the proceedings, even if not necessarily all of them were essential to answer the question that they received. And I think that that was really special uh, for for the community to get that level of clarity about all of the lawful grounds. Uh, And it turned out that this case, which started from a competition authority and went through the judicial system in Germany, as an antitrust case, it ended up converting into one of the most significant judgments in data protection law from the Court of, Just- of Justice, explaining some fundamental issues from the GDPR. Yeah, I agree. There will be lots of uh, papers written about this case for a-, a long time to come. Let's bite the bullet immediately. One of the points that that you raised in, in our previous discussion on, on LinkedIn was about offering paid alternatives. And I've seen quite a few people stating, yes, here the court has opened up the gates for for paid alternatives to consent, basically making data protection into something for the rich. Others, including myself, have argued that that is not the case. Where do you stand, Roman? Hey, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I think, I'm, see, I, I, I was surprised for this paragraph. You know, it's really, for me, the most important paragraph for business model like Facebook and social media is the paragraph 150 of the decision. Uh, why? Because um, I, I, and it's, you know, because when I was working at EDPS, I was quite already obsessed with the, you know, data as a counterpart or like data monetization. And I think this question is quite crucial for this kind of business model. And, and I read, I, and I still read the, uh, this paragraph 150 as the court saying that it would be appropriate if it was just okay to offer an alternative if necessary for an appropriate fee uh, if you don't consent to the processing of your data. And I think this is again opening the Pandora box of is it okay to pay 
Okay, that's the typical question payer. Okay, you know, which is also uh, relating to different complaints that we did at Neub against a newspaper in Germany and Austria. Uh, if you refuse the cookies, then you have to pay, but you have to pay an amount which is totally beyond uh, what would be considered reasonable. So I think this is really important also in relation to the digital content directive, because you, you may know that the digital content directive kind of implicitly recognizes that you can pay with something else than money, including data as a counterpart, which I really don't like as an idea because it seems to accept that you can use data as a counterpart and therefore using data as a counterpart for a contract and therefore using Article 6.1b of the GDPR as a legal basis, if you accept it, you pay with the data. I, I know by, I make myself clear. So it kind of circumvents uh, the Article 6.1a requiring consent. If you can basically force someone to pay with the data, you don't rely on consent, you rely on contract. Uh, and you may know as well, that's exactly what the what Meta Facebook did before the DPC. We filed a complaint at NOI five years ago against Meta for the use of what we call forced consent. And it appears that Meta realized that uh, it was not based on consent, but on contract. Sorry. And I think this shift of legal basis is a never-ending story. And it was also tiring for us and the DPC because basically Meta seems to shift from one legal basis to another one. They were kind of relying on consent. Then they said that they were relying on contract. And as you know, a couple of months ago, they now shift to a new legal basis, which is legitimate interest. And I agree with Gabriela. I think it's quite interesting to see what the court said here, because basically it's like the court saying, don't even go back to me because I don't want to see you again. I will go all, you know, I will go through all the legal bases. I don't want to be like the DPC. Don't come back. Facebook, you cannot use this one. You cannot use this one. And don't even try to use this one because I'm tired. So I, I have the impression, I don't know what you think. Would be nice if they do the same for the data privacy framework in a couple exactly, of months. Exactly. Yes, exactly. But voila, just to answer your question, I think it was the most important question for me. What about this alternative? And, and if we accept the alternative, what does it mean when you read the court decision, an appropriate fee? Because as you know, I'm also working in the DPA, uh, for the Belgian DPA. I don't know how to interpret the, in, you know, appropriate fee. Even if I had to accept that they would be okay to pay for an appropriate fee, what would be the acceptable amount? Are the DPAs equipped to determine this amount? I have doubts about it. But happy to hear your views because it's really what I was looking forward to have a discussion about this. And I would like to know how to you know, connect all the dots of all these cases, all these decisions and, and, and the legal text as well. Well, the way I read it is that the language is quite clear in the sense that the court does refer to an alternative that must be offered to users in exchange for an, if necessary, if necessary, in exchange for an appropriate fee. That, if necessary, opens a bit a possibility of interpretation, you know, when is it necessary to, to offer the services uh, for an appropriate fee? What is clear, though, from the paragraph is that mm, there needs to be an alternative offered to users who do not consent for their personal data out that is processed outside of the contract to be processed in specific ways. So um, I think the paragraph concerns two types of processing of personal data. The first type 
is the pricing that's necessary for the performance of the contract. And I think that once you accept the contract and for the data that's strictly necessary for the contract, that processing in any case takes place on the basis of 6-1-B. Now, mm-hmm. we've seen that a big part of what's being processed by the social media services and Meta in this case was not considered by the court as being necessary for the contract in terms of personalized content, for example. And also, very interestingly, the court doesn't specifically refer to personalized advertising all the time. It refers to personalized advertising, but it also refers to personalized content, Mm -hmm. which is a a bit of a different uh, thing. And I think it's a concept that we also encounter in the Digital Services Act as a parallel. So going back to this paragraph, it refers to, first, the processing that's necessary for the contract, and you enter the contract as a user, your data will be processed in that sense. What is necessary for the contract? I don't know, username, password, uh, your network of friends. So there is a level, minimum level that's necessary because you accepted the contract. But everything else must be offered as an alternative if you refuse, if you do not consent for everything else to be processed in a specific way. And that alternative, if necessary, can be paid for if you want to access specific things, perhaps like personalized content, without a trove of other personal data to be processed. So I'm not sure how much clarity this paragraph brings to this, but I do see that the court refers to this potential appropriate fee as, as an alternative to giving access to more of your personal data or per- perhaps across platforms or across the internet. So, so no definitive answer here. But <laughs> no, that, that, that's very clear. And, and let's hope there will be follow-up cases that, that will give that clarity. At the same time, I'm just trying to figure out in my mind what a Facebook timeline would look like in the various scenarios. So you have... On the one hand, your personalized content. You well, you have your you have your friends. I mean, that is the, the main intent of uh, the social medium that you can uh, follow people, that you can connect with people, exchange messages. I think that is the core functionality of Facebook. It also is how it was originally designed. So that's that's probably what the court would also refer to as necessary. Then you have your personalized content that can be created on things that you like, and then. I like a, a, a Facebook post of the Future of Privacy Forum or of Noip or of of a, a restaurant that I that I like, and those will show up in my timeline as well. That is something that can be done, I think, on the basis of consent because you choose to like those pages. But then the further personalization: hey, if you like this, then you must also like that. There, the court has been been quite clear in my view that is not objectively necessary for the product to function. So that can not be done just on the basis of those terms and conditions. It could be something where you could consent if you know everything, but then it needs to be granular. But then the only paid alternative that I can imagine is that you that they would continue doing all that they do and that you basically pay for the basic version. So that you pay for the version that only has your friends and family and, and the things that you like which would still require a legal basis, which then would either be consent or a contract. And then you come back to the objectively necessary. So 
I'm not sure whether the court actually thought their own logic through in saying that a paid alternative could be used because there is no 6-1-G saying a paid alternative in, in, in the GDPR. Uh, you still need one of those six legal bases. And bar consent, all of them require some form of necessity, and that necessity cannot be created by having a payment. Yeah, I agree. Interestingly enough, because we had the discussion with the DPC, you know, with the case that we filed five years ago, which is the, you know, the, the, the EDPB decision of January of this year, it was about the same thing, right? About uh, can you use contract, uh, contract related basis for, uh, that's, I was going to say for and for what? And this, I think it's an interesting question what Gabriela raised, because what are we talking about mm -hmm. here? It's not quite clear, okay. even in the EDPB decision, just to give you an example, we filed a campaign against personalized ads five years ago, and we got a decision of the DBB on OBA, online behavioral advertising. Here, the court switched. I'm sorry, I don't know if you have the same impression, but the court is changing from uh, personalized content to personalized ads and, and this kind of processing. And I'm like, yeah, but which processing are we talking about now? Do I have to pay for not having personalized ads at all or not personalized content or no use of the data of Facebook. Sometimes I'm a little bit confused in the decision, but maybe I'm too tired. I don't know, but I don't know what you think about it. It's not really clear, in my opinion, to know there is such a huge range of processing operation, and especially for Facebook, that, that can be done potentially, right? And I'm not sure that I, if I would, be, I would be Facebook, I would just be lost as well, because I'm not sure to understand where the, where is the line that the court just trying to put. You know what I mean? And I know that I may seem more in favor of Facebook for once, which is not probably the case, but I understand that we wanted more legal certainty and clarity, but I'm not sure that reading the decision, but it's maybe because you don't really know all the facts behind the decision. So maybe we don't really understand what were the specific processing operation behind the decision. I'm not sure that I still really understand where is the cursor, you know, where, where, where's the lie that I'm not supposed to cross as a social mm -hmm. media. Am I supposed to not do personalized content at all? Or can I do it, but not using, you know, WhatsApp data? And as you know, all the examples, and I'm sure you've been through there. If you add someone, a friend on WhatsApp, you may have this friend request or friend suggestion on Facebook. This kind of processing operation apparently would not be legal according to the court. Yeah. Using a WhatsApp friend's metadata to deliver advertising on Facebook might not be possible, but when you, when you read the decision, is it still possible for Facebook to provide personalized content, meaning I like this city, I like Vienna, am I going to see content related to Vienna or is it that also prohibited? I'm not sure that I really, that I'm not really lost in the range of processing operations that are allowed and not allowed. I don't know what you think about it. So yeah, Roman, I think, I think you make a fair point there. I think the court is very clear on, on one point. You cannot just take data from, from every single source and put it together and start analyzing it and just do whatever you damn please with it. Um, there they've been very clear. You cannot just take data from WhatsApp and Instagram and use that for Facebook and certainly not use the advertising data from all across the rest of the internet and use it for improvement of your timeline or whatever it is that people want to do on Facebook. I think there the court has been, been crystal clear, but about the rest of the questions that you raise, certainly a lot less so. Okay, I'm, I'm happy to hear it because I thought that maybe I was stupid or too tired, I don't know, but 
Oh, maybe Gabriela isn't clear for maybe you. Maybe I'm too I, optimistic. I'm still struggling. Maybe you are. I don't know. I'm still struggling <laughs> to understand where's the line. And you may to, to filter all this processing operation. It's, it's still not clear to me. And it's also, as you say, interesting to see that the court went through all the legal bases, whereas apparently the original case was not about all the legal bases. And, and maybe we can maybe talk about it later. But as you know, and I think it's another obsession of mine, you cannot throw all legal bases to a regulator, to a DPA. You have to choose one and to stick to one. Yeah. And it seems that here the court, by going from one legal basis to another, implicitly accepts that, you know, you know what I mean, Gabriela? Like, I, I see you. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I'm, I'm doubting a bit here because I, I'm not sure that the court says you can throw all of them. No, 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 me, you can't, of but course. I, but why did, yeah, what, what? Why analyzing all these legal bases? You know, just what I wanted to say is that EDPB in February did not do that. And I would have lost that EDPB just, you know, went further and to say, oh, and Facebook don't even come back to me with a legitimate interest and right. because it's not going to work. EDPB right. did not, didn't do that in February. And I'm happy that the court did it here, you know, but why? That's what I don't know. My sense is that. Well, practically speaking, this may have been raised during the proceedings, you know, as lawyers usually do. I am, you know, saying I'm submitting that this is all based on the own consent. If you think this is not lawful, then I'm submitting this is based on legitimate interests. So right. maybe it was raised during the proceedings, but... It, it also might be that the court just wanted to address them all in one shot. So, as you were saying, it, it wouldn't be called again to interpret uh, each of them. Line them up, knock them down, Gabriella? <laughs> yes, in, in separate proceedings. Or it might be a combination of two. So, it's very possible that they, they were raised during the proceedings in front of the court. And then it decided to actually address them all. And I would say what's even more remarkable on the legitimate interest ground, which the court spends a lot of time analyzing, it actually goes purpose by purpose, like interest by interest and, mm -hmm. and making findings also with regard to product improvement, which I know is one of the very debated uh, topics. In, in compliance, you know, can you base yeah. product improvement on legitimate interest and so forth. So that was also, I would say, interesting. But to go back... Yeah, that was one I like. <laughs> yeah. To go back to, to the lack of clarity within what we first said, that it's a bit of clarity from the court. I think you are both right that, you know, that line is quite clear in specific points. And the court, I think, is particularly clear with regard to what can be bundled within a contract for a social media services and what cannot. Or at least, at least it's clear about the fact that not everything can be bundled under a contract. Um, so then, of course, the issue is what exactly cannot be bundled because it keeps switching in between personalized content and online targeted advertising. Which I, I have to agree that indeed leaves a bit more of a debate open. And I, I recall, let me quickly check in my documents here. I recall also noting uh, that the court refers to an equivalent alternative that must be provided to users 
who do not consent to, to specific personalized content. Mm-hmm. Uh, in paragraph 102, and that in, in that paragraph, as opposed to what the court says in 150, in the last sentence, the court says that those services may, where appropriate, be provided to the user in the form of an equivalent alternative, which does not involve such a personalization, such that the latter is not objectively indispensable for a purpose that is integral to those services. Uh, and here, the court refers strictly to personalized content. And to me, I think this is also, I made a connection with some of the obligations in the DSA, right? where. Mm-hmm. We now have a law that actually requires, uh, I would say very large online platforms, but I don't know exactly if all online platforms or just very large online platforms to offer an alternative to personalized content, uh, like a, like a timeline sort of content. You know, how you have a wall on your social media service in chronological order rather than, um, content pushed by, um, an algorithm based on your interaction with the platform in the past. You see, if we read 102 and 150, I think we have to ultimately perhaps get a bit more clarity, but I'm not very convinced of that. And I I notice the paradox of having started the podcast by saying, oh my gosh, we have so much clarity from the courts. (laughs) And now, you know, (laughs) minutes later, oh, okay. Hmm, maybe there, there we, we don't have that entirety of clarity. But isn't that always the case for yes, every single court that. case? But I agree, Gabriela. I was just playing naive, I think, because of course, I think the result of all this assessment of the legal basis by the court is the result of maybe Meta throwing all the legal basis before the hearing and everything. But that's something that is a trick that you see even before a GPA. And I'm not sure I like it because, you know, you have the principle is that you have to advance a legal basis beforehand. And waiting for DPA to open an investigation against you and then throwing a legal basis during the investigation is too late. As you know, you have to connect a legal basis before. I also want to link to the decision of the DPC and, and the EDPB of January when there was one thing at least about which all DPAs, including the DPC, agreed is that the transparency obligation and the privacy policy of Meta was not clear at all. So no one understood what they were doing with the data. It was no link between the legal basis and the purpose. You know what I mean? It was really a mess. And I think it's also quite important to remind that in the context of this decision at the Court of Justice, because again, I, I agree that why not analyzing all this legal basis, but, and I don't criticize the Court of Justice, but I would have loved to see in the decision of the court. And by the way, Meta, I'm doing, I'm doing this exercise or going through all the legal basis, but by the way, you were supposed to come up with only one or at least only one legal basis per purpose. And I'm not even sure that the court was provided with sufficient information about what is at stake here. You know, we don't even know whether, you know, in the file, Meta was really explaining to the court the, the entire range of processing activity that were at stake during this decision. It's maybe an, another. Uh, hypothetical, you know what I mean? It's maybe the explanation why the court went through all legal basis mm-hmm. because it was impossible for the court to know what is corresponding to what, what is the purpose, what is the processing operation. It's not really clear. And still today, even after the DPC decision, you can read the data policy, the data policy and privacy policy of Meta. The last time I checked, it hasn't been changed. So Meta is still not linking the purpose, like it's still a mess. 
for the regulator, but also for the court. Maybe because they first need to find out themselves what data is yeah. actually processed, where it's coming from. That's a little bit late. Voila, that's what I meant. So I, I agree with you. But I think it's a pity that you, you can't see a line like, okay, guys, it's nice to throw all these legal bases at my face, but I would like to see at least some clarity myself. So maybe the, the, you know, the file was not clear for the court as well. It's okay. So we cannot expect more clarity than what was you know, shared with the court. It's okay. For, for us Europeans, this is a landmark decision. Um, but what do you make of it from a U.S. perspective? <laughs> okay. Uh, it <laughs> I even show up in your news. It, it did not. So here, here's the things that stood out to me. One, we knew this was coming. Two, Facebook is, because of its sheer size and reach and scope and popularity, so Facebook, I believe, is being used as an example. And I don't mean a scapegoat example, but it's a perfect example because it's so big and it has so much reach and so many people use it and it's it's so public. It's like Google and Facebook. You can't get away from them. Uh, but that's the problem as well is because of those things. So to me, one part that stood out, Gabriella, was the exact paragraph she read. It almost sounds like they're telling Facebook how to run their business, not just how to deal with data or European data. They're saying, oh, no, you need to offer an essential, an equivalent to, you know, these alternatives if people don't consent to them. I know that's not what they did, but as as I was sitting here going, you know, I'm going to say this, but I know it's coming from my pure, rogue, rebellious American heart. I, I know it is. I agree with the decision. Facebook has a lot to clean up. We have to be cautious when you say Facebook case now because there are so many. But you know Facebook is going to put, well, they can't push back. What are they going to do? When you made the comment over, maybe well, they, they don't to... know what they do with their data. What are they going yeah, to do? And for now, they have to wait because this case goes back to the lower court in Germany that referred it to the Court of Justice and they will have to make some that one. final assessments. So we'll get that in the next couple of months. Does it but surprise probably... Europeans to know that American companies don't know what they do with the data or why they have it? It's a surprise, honestly. Personally, yes, I'm surprised. No, I'm I'm not surprised because also many European companies do not know what they do with the data. True that, yeah. But they should learn by now that this is something that they should start paying attention to. It's serious. We've had data protection laws at this level since 1995, which which is a few weeks ago. I like the way you formulate like it's it's something they should start paying attention to yes. essentially like, like come on, it's a little bit more than time, no like we should start thinking about, you know, you know I'm still friendly. <laughs> let, let, me, let me say one thing that I picked up, and this came from IAPP just last year, I think it was. One of the biggest conversations that I really took away and I started implementing it in the privacy notices that I write is Europe wants to see not a category of who we collect data on, a category on what data we collect, a category on why we collect it and where we share it, they say we need to be able to tie why do we collect it to which data subjects to why we use it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what data we collect. We don't do that. You're, you're given a list of 10 types of data subjects, 20 million types of d data, and three reasons for using it. And you don't know what goes with what. The U.S. wants it completely different. Earlier this week, I reviewed a, a privacy notice for a company 
And they said, oh, yeah, we process personal data on the basis of six legal bases. And they just listed all six in the GDPR. Whereas they have no right to process personal data on the basis of a public interest in the first place. Right. So they just did a copy paste. Yeah, I agree. And I will say that that's one big thing that I took away. And that's at the crooks of this decision that we're talking about is why do you collect that particular data on that particular data subject? Mm -hmm. U.S. companies don't look at it that way. I'm sure there's companies all over the world that don't, but U.S. companies don't. And to be able to say, well, we're collecting this data on this type of person for this reason. And then to be able to make sure that that reason is legitimate under European law. There's a lot of reasons, but is that reason legitimate under European law? And if it's not legitimate under European law, do you have an equivalent alternative to what you offer? And here in the U.S., they don't want privacy notices put that way. They actually, California says you need to tell us these things. And they list a formula of things you need to say. And it has nothing in relation whatsoever and how Europe would like to see it logic. So it's almost as if the U.S. is form and the Europe is function. It's interesting. But I agree. I think it's, uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's quite important to remind that is it going to a DPO to a court and changing the legal basis because one is not working and shifting to another one is like changing alibi in front of a court. You, know? <laughs> you can't, you have to pick and choose first. You go, okay, this one is not working. Let's try this one. Okay, guys, but it's too late. Can we possibly spin it to meet that one? <laughs> no, it's really like, yeah, it's tra- changing your alibi. And it's, it's, it's not even like a pro forma. It's really it's not like a formalized exercise. You have to know which legal basis you realize so that the data subject can know which, you know, which right he has. The legal basis should come first. Yeah, because if it's consent, you don't have the same right as legitimate interest and the same yeah. right as contract because consent, you, tra- you can withdraw legitimate legitimate interest you have you can object mm-hmm. so it's quite important for the it's fundamental for the data subject and even for the dpa if you just say as you said uh, paul that we rely on all possible legal basis for all possible data that we call it <laughs> for all possible purpose it's, it's it's a nightmare for everyone for the data subject and for the dpa itself yeah. so yeah. it's not flying it's not healthy mapping of the data it's not good transparency I it's think. not healthy it's, it's, i like that it's driving me insane not to see yeah it's not really healthy <laughs> Gabriella, any sensible words from you here? Yes. I have uh, two points to make, which sprang in my head as Kay and Roma were, were doing their, their latest contributions. Uh, the first one is that the court, I think, is very, very aware that it is addressing a business model and not necessarily yeah. one conduct of one company. Yeah. Because the court actually says business model like two times mm-hmm. in, in the judgment. And I think this might also be a part of the explanation of why they went to such length to actually make findings about all of the lawful grounds mm-hmm. and, uh, and on legitimate interest and as, as product improvement and security services yeah. uh, and, and so forth. And I think the court wanted to sort of send a clear signal that, look, this is about the so- social media, um, targeted advertising, online type of interactions, business model. And the second point on the lawful grounds, one thing that I noted while reading the judgment was that the court was quite uh, specific about the lawful grounds being consent and if consent is not validly given, it only works 
on necessity, on a necessity basis for the other lawful grounds. So it groups the other five available lawful grounds in Article 6 under the head of necessity, which also made me think of our good old days in the, in the Article 29 working party where you know that there was a lot of time spent discussing necessity and proportionality, but not in a, you know, law enforcement type of context, but in our mm. sort of day-to-day uh, things that we had to assess. And uh, there's even, what, the necessity bills that mm-hmm. <laughs> David, <laughs> David Kauke wrote. David Kauke wrote. So uh, I, I really appreciated how the court really put a spot on, a light on yeah. the idea of necessity and how the data needs to be necessary, like objectively necessary for those specific local grants to actually work and be valid. And I like it that they also link that very clearly, and that is a concept that Americans do understand, to the reasonable expectation of privacy. Because especially when it comes to to legitimate interest, the court is very clear, for example, in in, in paragraph 112, that data protections do not reasonably expect such processing when it comes to online advertising, for example. They do not expect it, and thus it means that you cannot just do it. For sure. But maybe you can maybe subject... One thing that you can also comment is that the court already preempts the future obligation of the DMA. And I think it's also interesting oh, yes. because we had Article 5 of the DMA saying that you cannot, you know, cross-use, you know, cross-platform data for personalized ads and, you know, exactly what Facebook was doing. But there, we had a specific test negotiated for years before the parliament to prohibit that. And guess what? We didn't need it. Apparently, the GDPR was already prohibiting that. And it's crazy because the commission was waiting to enforce it. And we're like, okay, we don't need your commission. Thank you. But this is already prohibited and the court just confirmed. Uh, so it's kind of a funny thing to, to see. Let right? me just end on this note. Uh, and uh, a couple of my colleagues here in the U.S. first saw the decision and they started to read through it. The first question I received from one of them was, but wait, isn't this with like the DMA and the DSA? Isn't this, why... What's going on? <laughs> and I, I, I was saying, yes, exactly. Thank you. This is something that um, the data protection community has been trying to signal for a long while that, you know, if we had had the interpretation and application of the GDPR as it was meant to be, perhaps we wouldn't need all of these extra double obligations, complications, and mm. systems that overlap. And that will need to make sense of, you know, because they, they will all need to work together. Well, and on that note, I will wrap up this episode of Serious Privacy. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, especially Gabriela and Roman, for, for joining us today and sharing your views. As said, the debate will continue initially on LinkedIn. So if you have any follow-ups to this conversation, please do share them on the Serious Privacy page on LinkedIn. Or join us on any of the other social media. You'll find K always as hard of privacy. Myself as your will be. Until next time, goodbye. Bye, That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. 
TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because their deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central, seriously one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me a Paul if you have any questions.